If you brought your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 7. If you didn't bring your Bible, then uh, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you can maybe, maybe use your phone. I don't know. No, don't use your phone because I don't know if you're on TikTok or if you're actually looking at a Bible. Uh, I mean, honestly, yeah. So this is uh, something that's been on my heart. Hey, Ashley, if you'll close that extra door once you come back in, please, that'd be wonderful. Um, so a couple things. The next couple weeks are going to be kind of tough. Everyone say tough. And the reason why is God's been dealing with me about some stuff, and I'm going to communicate what God's been dealing with me about to you. And sometimes in communication, when it comes to more of these challenging things, people don't like to hear it, especially in the wonderful United States of America. But uh, God is not, uh, like we said a couple weeks ago, he's not as soft as maybe some of you have heard. And I think the American church has done a grave disservice in teaching, especially the younger generation, that God is uh, just grace and love, and he is those things, and he has those things, but there's also a judgment side to God. And uh, at the end of this life, we're all going to have to stand before him, and we're going to be judged by what we did in this life. And uh, that doesn't get talked about much anymore in the body of Christ, especially to young people. And this is what I perceive. There's many of you in this room. Some of you have been born into a very good life and you've never wanted for anything. Your parents have always taken care of you, saw that you had the best clothes and the best food and the best phone. And that's wonderful, but it's affected your ability to trust God because you say, everything's always been given to me, why do I need God? And then there's others in the room and you weren't born into wealth, and you weren't given anything, and your parents haven't really taken care of you the way natural parents should. Maybe they were damaging to you with your words. Maybe they were abusive towards you. Maybe you struggled at times for food, for clothing. And because of that, it's done a great service to you, and you say, where's God been? And it's affected your ability to believe in and trust God. And this is what I see amongst young people today. Either they've got it so good that they feel like they don't need God, or they've had it so bad that they feel like they didn't see, see God and God abandoned them. The truth of the matter is, is no matter which end of the spectrum you fall in or anywhere in between, we all need God. Amen. And what's happened is because of those two ends of the spectrum that I just described, what is created amongst the younger generation when it comes to God and church is a major irreverence, if you will, where they don't have a reverential fear for God, maybe like generations before us did. I remember when I was in New York and I walked into, I think it's called the 16th Street Cathedral, I don't remember what it's called. It's this amazing chapel and uh, I walked in and it's a very religious place and I walked in, I had my Yankees hat it, and as soon as I walked in, like three people who worked in that church, I mean, they just jumped on me and required me to take off my hat because to walk into that holy place with a hat on was irreverent. I'm walking into the temple in the house of God. I need to show and demonstrate reverence. And they said, you know, you're in this place to respect him. Take your hat off. I remember when I was in Quito, Ecuador, and we walked into one of their chapels, and the same thing happened. 
We had a hat on. I had, I think I had this Alabama hat on. And I walked in. And as soon as I walked in, one of the ushers walked up to me and started going off in Spanish. And I was just like, no, comprende. <laughs> I do not understand, you know, what you're saying. And uh, then Aldo was like, you need to take off your hat. Take off your hat. It's irreverent to have your hat on. Irreverent to have your hat on. And I believe what God is doing is he's wanting to bring us back to that place of reverence and fear towards a holy God. And only when we get back to that place can we receive from God what he truly has for us. And he's been taking me on this journey in Matthew 7. I've been doing this thing in the Bible app. It's got this amazing feature where you can just push this speaker button and this guy reads it to you. And it's awesome. It's so random because, like, they have this narrator and he's reading to you. And then every once in a while, like, music will kick in. I was like, oh, oh yeah. where'd the music come from? That's yeah. different. And then there was this one part in Matthew 9 where... The centurion comes, and then all of a sudden the narrator changes to be a Roman soldier, and the narrator's like, and Jesus said, and Jesus did. And then the soldier comes in, he's like, dear Lord. And I'm like, whoa, his voice just changed. But it's this really cool feature because when I'm driving to work or when I'm just doing stuff around the office, I'll put in my AirPods, and I'll open the Bible app, and I'll just play it. And I've had Matthew 7 just on repeat for like the last week and a half, just listening to it and just listening to it. And there's many things in here he talks about. In Matthew 7, verse 1, uh, down through verse, eight, he talks about, you know, don't condemn others. And then seven through 10, he talks about effective prayer. And then, uh, you know, 12, he talks about the golden rule. And then in 13, he talks about the narrow gate. But first I want to start up here. Where is it? Let me find. I think it's in seven. I don't want to read all of it to find it. But it talks about how God will not cast his pearls before the swine. And he says, how can you give what is holy to those who are unholy? And as I read that, I interpret it as God saying, I have good things for you, but as long as you won't honor those things, I cannot give them to you. I have something good for you. But if you don't, re I remember what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10, 28. Now this might wreck some of you in your image of Jesus and God. The disciples were starting to get a little afraid because persecution was coming to the church and Jesus was like, go out and tell people about me. And the disciples were getting a little nervous. And this scripture in Matthew 10, 28 has been greatly discussed among theologians for many, many years. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, why are you afraid of men who can only kill you when instead you should fear God who can kill you and send you to hell? And Jesus was communicating a very bold, because all we've heard is Jesus and God is love. I remember in Jude, the book of Jude, not, not very often talked about, but he's given them a stern reminder, and he's like, he's like, you guys have gotten so casual. But he's like, remember Sodom and Gomorrah, they got casual, and God had to destroy the whole city. Remember Noah, they got casual, and God had to flood the entire earth. Now, I know this is Old Testament and Old Covenant, but Jude is reminding them, this is the God that you serve. And this God is not soft. This God deserves honor. This God deserves reverence. This God deserves to be feared with a holy fear. And Jesus was reminding the disciples of that. He's saying, don't fear men who can only kill you. God is much, much mightier than men. He could kill you and send your soul to hell for all of eternity. He is the one you should be afraid of. And then the disciples were like, oh, snap. <laughs> Let's get busy and start obeying God. 
We forgot that we serve literally the creator of the universe. We're so worried about man. What we need to be concerned about is our life reflecting God. And and when I look at people and they have no reverence for God, it leads me to one of two conclusions. One, they've never met him. Or two, they've got a fake imitation of a relationship with him. Because when you really know God, and what he, this is the God of Thor is not the God of thunder and lightning. God is the God of thunder and lightning. He speaks by thunder. He speaks by lightning. This is the God we serve. And today in the church, because everybody's always talking about, you know, I listen to a lot of these big time ministers and I got to turn it off because they're always downplaying Jesus. You know, just live how you want and Jesus is cool with it. My Bible says that nowhere. And what they're doing is you got all these preachers up here preaching this soft message of Jesus Christ and this soft message of God. And they think they're making disciples, but all they're doing is they're helping hundreds of millions of people make their bed in hell. That's all they're doing. So I've been going on this journey here in Matthew 7, and God is talking to me and he's showing some things. Now listen, remember as we read this book, I didn't write this. Holy men of old, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is the written word of God. He wrote this. So the stuff in here is not me telling you you should do this. It's not me saying this is what Robert said. This is what God has said. And there's so many stern warnings in here. And God is like, listen, I've got so many wonderful things for you, but I can't cast it before you if you're just going to act like pigs. I I can't give you these good things in life. I can't give you your future that I promised you in Jeremiah 29, 11 to give you a hope and to give you an end, to prosper you and help you in every way. I can't do that if you have no reverence towards me. Why am I going to pour something out on you that you're just going to abuse and lose? Why would God do that? And so we have a whole generation that walks into church just super casual because either they've never really met God or they think they met God, but they just have an imitation. And so look at what Jesus says here. This is in red. So this is Jesus talking. You all know that. In verse 13, he says this, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. So what does that mean? There's not many ways to live this life. And can I just... Be completely honest with you. Christianity, true Christianity and discipleship is a tough road because it's a narrow road. And you don't get to do everything that you want to do whenever you want to do it. True discipleship is following after Jesus. I've chosen Jesus, which means I reject everything that is contrary to him. And friends, that's a narrow road. But my eternal destination is not the things of this world. My eternal destination is heaven. And there's not many ways to get there. There's one one way. It's a life devoted to Jesus. And a true life devoted to Jesus means, okay, I'm going to have to reject some things. I'm going to have to put down some things. I'm going to have to stay away from some things. And I'm not telling you to be perfect. Jesus, you know, it's not about perfection. But at the same time, it's not making sure that I go over here and do this that I know is wrong because I have grace, so it's going to be okay. Amen. That's not right. 
And that is an abusive relationship with the Creator. Grace is not so we can merely have the forgiveness of sins. Grace is the supernatural empowerment so once we are forgiven, we don't have to sin anymore. Because I don't want sin to destroy my life. And that's what the Bible says it does. Why do we sin? Lots of times, because we have no reverence for the one who created us. So look at what he says. The road is narrow. The highway to hell is broad. And its gate is wide open for the many who choose the easy way. But the gateway to life is small, and the road is narrow, and only a few find it. Now, I love this next portion because he begins to describe the few people that have really found this road. Really found it. Beware of the false prophets who come, disguised as harmless sheep, but are really wolves that will tear you apart. You can detect them by the way that they act. Just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify, you, can, you don't pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from a thistle. A healthy tree produces good fruit and an unhealthy tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not, look at this now, so every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. We see this repeated in John 15, where he talks about, I am the vine, you are the branches, and every branch that doesn't produce fruit, my father prunes it and throws it into the fire. That word right there, fire, means hell, eternal damnation. And so God is showing us some things. Yes, the way, verse 20, yes, the way to identify a tree or a person is by the kind of fruit that it produces. And then Jesus goes on in 21 to talk about true disciples. Not all people who sound religious are really godly. They refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. How many people go to church, but they're still not going to get into the kingdom of heaven? Because they have no relationship, they're just religious. How many people think that they're saved, but they're just making their bed in hell? Well, how do I know? Let me ask you this question. What fruit have you shown to the world this week that proves you belong to Jesus? Come on, guys. I want to challenge you. Think about the things that I'm saying. Belonging to him is not done in word alone. It's done in deed also. At school today, was there any fruit that showed the world that Jesus is your Savior? Some of y'all thinking in your mind, it's kind of like, Jesus, I hear your thoughts. Woo, what do we step into tonight? This word has the power to save your soul. But it only saves your soul this isn't witchcraft. You don't play with this. This is the word of God, and the word says that it always accomplishes, it never returns void. It always accomplishes what I sent it out to do. So here's my question, guys. Think about it. What kind of tree are you? What fruit have you been producing? I'm not asking that question. The word is asking that question. He's asking, what kingdom do you really belong to? 
Have you really, like Ephesians says, have you really been translated? And God has put me on a mission to reestablish reverence among the younger generation for the King of Kings because God wants to do something awesome in your life and he can't if there's no reverence. And he's so frustrated because he's holding back all these good things that he's just waiting to unleash on you. And all it takes is this simple commitment. Okay, God, I will try to walk on this narrow path. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do what Proverbs says. I'm not going to look to the left nor to the right. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm going to be on this narrow path. And if I fall off here, I'm going to get back up. Because this isn't just a commitment I made for a day. This is a life commitment. I'm devoted to Christ. I've decided to be a disciple. You know how many Christians there are, Christians in this world that aren't Christians at all? Because there's no deed. What does the word of God say? Faith without works is dead. I'm not saved by my works, but because I am saved, you can see my works. You can look at Robert's life and see that he's a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I'm not up here trying to flex on you. I'm just telling you, the proof is in the lifestyle. And that's fine. If if somebody is struggling and they're not living that lifestyle, I'm never going to reject that person. I'm never going to judge that person. I'm never going to condemn that person. That person's always welcome here. But what I am telling you, don't have this false sense of Christianity where you think everything is Gucci, but it's really not. kind of tree are you? I'm a Christian. Okay, well, what evidence do you have that supports that statement you just made? And you have, if you have no evidence, then we need to check our heart and be like, whoo, am I taking this serious? Or have I just been listening to too many preachers that tell me I can do whatever I want, and because God is love, I'm going to be fine? That's not the truth. And Jesus continues. Not all people who sound religious are really godly. They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. The decisive issue is whether they obey the Father in heaven. The decisive issue. Well, I thought the decisive issue was I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth. That's absolutely true. But what did Matthew 3 say? Let there be fruit or meat that comes with your repentance. So if you do what Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that's amazing. But then Matthew said there's, there should be some fruit that the root system of your heart has changed and your tree is now different. On judgment day, now look at this last part, guys. On judgment day, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, this is Jesus, but I will reply, I never knew you. Go away. The things you did were unauthorized. And then it talks about building on a solid foundation. What's that solid foundation? Jesus is that solid foundation. But he's telling us, he's, he's doing all this in order. He's saying, you can't build on this solid foundation if you have this imitation relationship with me. When we get to heaven, 
And we're standing there. I remember once when I got pulled over in Colorado and, I, and my insurance card was expired. And I gave it to the police officer and he's like, this insurance card is expired, I'm gonna write you a ticket. And he said, you can go to court. And if you have an insurance card that has an active date on it and it's not expired, then the judge can rule in your favor and waive the ticket and you will have to pay the fine. And it was like a $300 fine or something like that. So I was like, absolutely, I'm doing it. I'm barely putting gas in my truck. So it was a couple months later, got the right card. I had insurance, I just didn't have the right card. Went before the judge, showed him my insurance, my proof of insurance, and he dismissed my case and I didn't have to pay anything. See, a good judge, a good judge, now they're not all good, but God is a good judge. A good judge judges based off of what? Evidence. Y'all with me? Amen. And when we get to heaven, Jesus is going to say, present your evidence. That's what he's talking about here. And some people are going to be like, well, I went to church every Wednesday. I was at a blaze. I was at church on Sunday. And some of those very people Jesus is going to look at, you went to church every Wednesday, but I did not know you. Go away from here, because the things you did were unauthorized. I don't know about you. I have a family member who's really close. <clears throat> they believe they're saved. I was home several years ago and I was ministering to them, trying to help them bless you. And they, they told me this out of their mouth. They said, I'm saved. And since I'm saved, I can go ahead and live however I want down here. So I'm going I'm to get to heaven for eternity, but I'm also going to enjoy the things of this world while I'm here. And I just looked at them and I said, that's a really risky game to play. Because if you're saved, see, John chapter 1, verse 5, talks about the light and how the light brings us out of darkness and how darkness can't overcome the light. So if we claim to have the light, but we're still living in darkness, do we really have the light? See, this room's not dark in here tonight. Why? Because the lights are on. It's pretty evident. It's pretty evident. And that family member, you know, I'm trying to convince them, you need to take this serious. You're playing a risky game. You're going to get to heaven, and God's going to ask you, present your evidence, and you're going to say, well, I, I believed I was saved. And he's going to be like, there was no evidence to back up that belief, so guess what that means? You really didn't believe. Every single one of you is sitting in a chair right now, and the reason you sat down in that chair is because you believed it would hold you up. If you didn't believe that, you wouldn't have sat down. Your life right now, is the very fruit, the very evidence of your faith in that chair. I can see it. I can see that you believe in that chair. Why? Because you sat down. There's evidence that supports it. If you didn't believe in that chair, when I told you to sit down, you would have stayed standing. But you believed in that chair. You believed it would hold you up. You sat down. You have fruit and evidence that you believed in the chair. Actions. Faith supported with actions is alive. So if your faith in Jesus is alive, it will be supported with actions. Do you all understand? Yes. Now from this moment, God's given us an invitation tonight to fix some things and address some things. And from this moment forward, we begin to build on that foundation. We say, okay, I'm not, I'm not playing with this. I don't want an invitation. I want the real deal.
And it doesn't matter if I came from everything and I didn't need to believe in God or I came from nothing and I feel like God let me down. This moment right now, I'm going to put my trust in him. And I'm going to start building on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes real quick. Verse 24, he says, anyone who listens to my teachings and obeys them is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rains come and the torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on a rock. This is what, this is my desire for you guys. That you wouldn't think you were saved, but really on a path to hell. My desire is that you'd really be saved. Listen to me, friends, as your eyes are closed, there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. These are two real places. And Jesus has given us a promise that if we'll build our lives on him, he didn't promise us that storms wouldn't come. He didn't promise us that winds wouldn't come, that torrents wouldn't come. He didn't promise, all, we're gonna face all that stuff in this world. But what Jesus did is he promised, when you really build on me, when all that stuff comes beating against your house, which is your life, when it beats against your house and it beats against your house, your house will continue to stand. Because you have built your life on something that is greater than you are. You've built your life on someone who is greater than you are. Now, as your eyes are closed and nobody's looking around, if there's anybody in this room tonight and you've never really given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never really been challenged to walk that narrow life, And yes, it is a life that has its challenges, but friends, I can tell you, it is a good life. Maybe next week I'll share my testimony. But walking with Jesus, though it has its challenges, it is a good life. It is a safe life, and it's a secure life. Maybe you've never responded to an altar call to start this journey with him. And tonight you want to decide that the narrow path is the path for you. As everybody's being respectful, the person to the left or the right, no one moving around, no one being a distraction. For the very first time, if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just show me right now with an uplifted hand. If you would, put it up real high so I can see it. Amen, thank you. You can put your hand down. Let me ask you another question. Maybe you're in here and you're saying, you know what? I feel like my relationship's been an imitation. I've been on that wide road that has destruction all around it. And I feel like if I stood before him right now and I pleaded my case, he would look at me and say, I don't even know you. If there's anybody in the room tonight and you want to ask God for forgiveness so that your life can begin to produce good fruit again. You want to show him that you're serious. You want to ask to be forgiven 
and washed by the blood of Jesus. And he's so good and he's so merciful and he is so kind that he is willing to forgive you of your sins and your shortcomings. But he is also the perfect judge and he knows if you mean it or not.